President Biden now set to deliver a speech on democracy in our country, preserving democracy. In the wake of the attack on Paul Pelosi and other threats, the escalating rhetoric across the country. The president is going to make it crystal clear what is at stake in this election. He is pointing out that there are candidates running for every office, every level of office in this country, who will not commit to accepting the results of the very elections they are running in. And the president is also reminding every American that it could take several days to get the final results, saying that is the system working. Tonight, President Biden is calling on all Americans to stand up to protect our democracy amid the threats that election deniers pose to the voting process. Two years after the 2020 election, there is still no evidence of systematic voting problems. And tonight, according to his prepared remarks, President Biden is going to argue that conspiracy theories and election lies could once again spark chaos the way they did on January 6th. Trump knows he's an illegitimate president. The president-elect, although legally elected, is not legitimate. I don't see this president-elect as a legitimate president. You said you believe that Russia's interference altered the outcome of the election. I do. We have a president who, if in fact it is proven, uh, has been assisted by the Russians and may in fact not be a legitimate president. The one thing that Trump is fearful of uh, when it comes to his being president is that finally we will see how illegitimate his victory actually was. I have an objection. I object to the 15 votes from the state of North Carolina. I object because people are horrified. He's an illegitimate president. Do you believe Trump is illegitimate president? What I believe is that there's no question that the outcome of this election was affected by the Russian interference. There absolutely is a cloud of illegitimacy. Just a few days ago, a little before 2.30 a.m. in the morning, A man smashed the back windows and broke into the home of the Speaker of the House of Representatives, the third highest ranking official in America. All this happened after the assault. And it just, it's hard to even say. It's hard to even say. After the assailant entered the home asking, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Those are the very same words used by the mob when they stormed the United States Capitol on January the 6th, when they broke windows. I wish I could say the assault on a democracy had ended that day, but I cannot. As I stand here today, there are candidates running for every level of office in America, for governor, Congress, attorney general, secretary of state, who won't commit, they will not commit to accepting the results of elections that they're running in. This is a path to chaos in America. It's unprecedented. It's unlawful. And it's un-American. As I've said before, you can't love your country only when you win. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there is unrest in our lives. Enemies of the state. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. When they go low, we kick How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? The biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. I said, even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murders. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. You would have been a hero. I'd like to punch him in the face. I said, if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Punch some people in 
the face. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? They're still going to have to go out and put a bullet in Donald Trump. And that's a fact. Years of Republican propaganda and Trump-fueled fascism led 42-year-old David DePap to break into Nancy Pelosi's San Francisco home, seemingly with the intent to harm her. No specific motive has been identified. The circumstances are eerily similar to the January 6th attack, some bringing zip ties into the Capitol, attempting to find officials and take them hostage. Pelosi, one of the targets that day and Friday. Morning. This is an incredibly toxic moment that has been building for years and only getting worse. Threats against members of Congress have more than doubled since 2017. While there have been victims in both parties, targeted Democrats and Republicans, conservatives and liberals, the structure of the Republican Party more recently with the advent of Donald Trump has put a person at the top of the party who has consistently advocated violence and who has created a market within his own party where it's fun to joke about violence You've seen deranged lunatics attack both Democrats and Republicans alike. Uh, I don't think John Boehner 12 years ago pointing out that Nancy Pelosi passed Obamacare, or Kevin McCarthy now pointing out that she passed trillions of dollars of spending that caused this inflation, led to this you know, apparent nudist activist breaking into her home. The simplest way to stop crimes like this is to get tough on crime. It's not to try to stop campaigning in the middle of a campaign seven days before an election on legitimate issues of public concern. Absolutely. People should continue to campaign on legitimate issues of public concern. No, uh, no debate there. But uh, to be clear, from your answer, here. I'm here. You don't see any connection between things said in this country, in particular by people denying the results of the 2020 election uh, and the motivations of, as you call it, this madman. No more connection than Chuck Schumer going to the steps of the Supreme Court and saying that Brett Kavanaugh wouldn't know what hit him if he issued rulings that Chuck Schumer disagreed with. And what did you have? A left-wing hitman showing up at Brett Kavanaugh's house to assassinate him.
the Tan UN. Hello and welcome to today's broadcast of Tap Into the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever so humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming to you from historic Rome County, Tennessee, and so very glad to have you along for the ride. Now, minor apologies for the extended supercut at the beginning. I have recently taken to bringing you a few audio clips at the very beginning of the show, especially if it was something that I thought merited attention and we might particularly be discussing or may not particularly have time to discuss, but wanted to make sure it was on your radar. Uh, usually, any supercuts uh, are typically used for during the show, during the breaks, uh, while we're uh, kind of those in-between times to to highlight some of the most recent ridiculousness that's been going on. However, this is, in fact, the last broadcast of Tap Into the Truth that will occur before the midterm elections are underway. So, I thought I would bring to you a supercut there, and we will have a supercut a little later that uh, will highlight the blatant dishonesty of the left recently, but this one, this one highlights the left's efforts to try and convince you, the general voting public, that it is democracy that is on the ballot. Trying to convince you that an attack on Nancy Pelosi's home naturally equates to January 6th riots, and that January 6th riots automatically equals armed insurrection, and armed insurrection automatically equals that any Republican whatsoever is dangerous. Therefore, the answer to authoritarian one-party rule is to only vote for one party and create one-party rule. The lack of logic or common sense that well, basically runs and rules the Democratic Party, at least at the national level, the party proper, not the folks who generally vote for Democrats. That's a whole different situation. The lack of logic there, it's been well documented over the years, but I don't think it's been on display as badly as it is right now. The full-blown panic as every poll has every race tightening to within the margin of error. We're talking about the possibility of New York State having its first Republican governor in decades. We're talking about the possibility of Republicans winning in Washington State, of winning local elections in Oregon. We're talking about the possibility of races that once were well out of reach, like in Michigan and Ohio, now being within not only within that margin of error, but still showing slight leads in some cases for the Republicans. So the panic is in full, full swing. There's no question. There's no doubt. They're tipping their hands. They've literally brought out Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton and, of course, Barack Hussein, Alu Akbar, Obama to hit the trail. They've even in a full-blown act of desperation, sent Joe Biden out to try and help campaign for some of these folks, despite the fact that every time Joe Biden makes a public appearance, it only further reminds the voting public of what a mistake they made if they cast a vote for him in the last presidential election. For the entirety of this election cycle, every Democrat has been desperately trying to 
forget that they are in the same party as Joe Biden, that they will have to answer questions for Joe Biden's policies, policies that they were supporting at one point or another during their political uh, career if they are incumbents. Tons and tons of these folks basically trying to distance themselves from Joe Biden and his obvious failures, because at the end of the day, the American people are suffering and struggling just to make ends meet, and it is only because of the policies of this current administration, and everyone knows it. Some people don't want to say it out loud, but it's clear. It's obvious. People who were doing well under the last guy, you, you remember him, right? The orange man who was bad, the kicker of puppies, the eater of babies, the climate arsonist, that guy, according to the left. Donald John Trump managed to do miraculous things in a short amount of time, not only fighting the mainstream legacy media and every Democratic office holder, but about half of the Republican office holders as well. He did miraculous things. Now, he said a lot of stuff. We literally had segments on this show that were divided up good Trump, bad Trump, and we've got a bad Trump story here coming up in the second half, so stay tuned for that. But this is designed, this little super clip at the top, it was designed to remind you that while the political temperature has continued to elevate, and it has led to violent actions being perpetrated by certain people, targeting folks based solely on whether or not politics had something to do with that target, it is not unprecedented. The idea, the term, this this effort that the Democrats are trying to uh, pin all Republicans as being election deniers, even if all you did was say, hmm, it was kind of weird that they suddenly had a, a water pipe burst uh, overnight while uh, votes were being counted in a precinct that really determined which way the electoral vote was going to go in the state of Georgia. No, if you just posed a question, or in some cases, as I've had uh, broadcast banned off of YouTube before pulling just all of my broadcasts down, essentially. Uh, in fact, I don't know how much I have left up on YouTube. You'll find more stuff over at Rumble. I highly recommend you come find me at Rumble, please. Actually, I, I like where you to go to Locals.com and uh, sign up to be part of the Tap into the Truth community on Locals. But regardless of that, if you even just reported the fact that some people had questions, that makes you an, an election denier. But it's perfectly okay for these Democrats, for every one of them whining about election deniers right now and how dangerous that is, perfectly okay for them to deny the legitimacy of a certain orange man who was bad beating a certain person who has a lot of conspiracy swirling around her in regards to an unusually high number of people that die in her inner circle. A lot of them via suicide. Uh, many others via unique and unwitnessed accidents. Yeah, uh, we're talking about Hillary Clinton here. If 
Hillary was not the victim of Russian interference, then there's just no other explanation, right? So when they deny the outcome of an election, that's just them trying to, again, protect democracy. It's funny that democracy in their mind now has become, when Democrats win, it's democracy. That's pretty much it. If you go to the polls and vote for somebody other than the Democrat, you're not actually engaging in democracy. You're endangering democracy. These people have lost their minds. Not that you are taken aback by that at this point. This connection between the recent attack on the Pelosi home that left Paul Pelosi in the hospital, and thank goodness at this point he's been released, he appears to be doing well. Uh, this uh, attempt at Dark Brandon, uh, part two, the speech to remind you also that uh, it's election deniers and mega mega Republicans and Donald Trump that are the scariest things on the planet right now. All, all an effort to try and make you forget about the fact that there's only a few days left of diesel fuel in this country. Only a few days left before everything in this country skyrockets again because you've already got a date with destiny for rail traffic to be coming to a halt. Four of the unions involved with this uh, issue with rail freight have already rejected this Biden negotiated deal. Now, they're all waiting till after the midterms before any of them are going to go on strike. But once that strike begins, things are going to slow down. So maybe they can, for a little bit longer, hide the fact from you that they have completely mismanaged energy in this country. I mean, it should be impossible for you to miss it right now. It should be. How could you possibly miss it? We were energy independent just before Biden took office. We had enough energy that we could not only take care of ourselves, but we had plenty to sell to our allies, to put on the major markets. We were a net exporter because we covered our needs and could continue to build up the strategic reserve, not sit here and empty the strategic reserve. But now with so little diesel fuel left, even if the trains don't stop beforehand, the trucks will be. How many of your grocery stores are going to be filled with goods that you need to put on your table, presuming you have enough dollars left to purchase any of them anyway? How many of your local gas stations are going to be able to charge even what passes for a reasonable price right now under Biden inflation if there's no more trucks bringing the fuel to their stations that are coming? You don't think that's going to cause a spike in the regular gasoline prices? We are teetering on the precipice of one of the most dangerous moments in American history. And the left is going to try to blame this on election denier results from the midterms, because none of this is really going to hit hard until immediately after the elections. This is their last-ditch effort, and they want you to think that no matter who's out there being violent, that it's always the right that's doing it. That's what they want to tell you. But again, with that supercut, lots of audio from lots of lefties talking about what's necessary, talking about being violent.
Well, here's another story of interest. They keep trying to tie the Pelosi attack to politics, right? Well, prosecutors right now that are overseeing the uh, criminal case against the illegal alien who attacked Paul Pelosi, you know, the, the guy who broke into their house last week, well, they've decided that they're not going to release any footage of the incident. Now, here's the thing. We've been told that 26 different uh, security cameras there were all malfunctioning at the time. Turns out that that report is not exactly wrong. There were several security footage cameras that were malfunctioning, but as it also turns out, there was some security footage that was working. Uh, this was the ones that are operated by the Capitol Police, who were supposed to be an additional layer of protection at the Pelosi house, not just the paid-for security that the entire neighborhood that Pelosi happens to live in have managed to put in place, but also extra security from the Capitol Police, who really have no business doing anything outside of providing security for the U.S. Capitol when it's in session. Anything else is an overreach, and that needs to be squashed real quick. We do not need any more federal agencies operating outside of a, a standard jurisdiction. But we now also know that even though that footage was working and those cameras were in place, turns out they're highly trained and very professional operatives simply weren't monitoring those cameras. So they had no idea. So there's footage there. Well, we're not going to see it. There's body camera footage from the police officers that showed up. Well, now we're being told the prosecutors, they're not going to let that happen. The Daily Mail, and here we are again having to rely on news outlets from outside of the United States to get any type of realistic look at what's happening here in the States. And the Daily Mail is far from one of my favorite news sources, but we need to take a look at what they're saying. They're reporting that the prosecutors are, quote, refusing to release police body cam and surveillance footage from the incident late last month where 42-year-old David DePape is accused of breaking into the Pelosi home, searching for Nancy Pelosi, and then later bashing Paul Pelosi's skull with a hammer. Now, that's what they're reporting and the way they put it. Mr. Pelosi... Again, still quoting, Mr. Pelosi opened the door. They were both holding a hammer, and the police observed Mr. DePape pull the hammer away and then strike Mr. Pelosi. This, according to District Attorney Brooke Jenkins, that's what Jenkins said, and continued, saying that this is the most that we're going to say at this point. Our job is not to try this case in the public or in the press. It's to try it in the courtroom. Now, I would love to be able to get behind that sentiment. I would love to be able to say, absolutely, that is the, the way this should go. I would prefer that they take this approach in a majority of cases, the majority of cases where they often do not. But, you see, there is a difference in this particular case. We've already been subject to all types of, well, blank spaces in what's been recorded. With everything that's been reported, there's been plenty of room for us to take a look at it and say, this doesn't add up. This doesn't make sense. And so people have started speculating. 
conspiracy theories have run wild. And this is by design, because they also want to point a finger at those of us on the conservative side that are scratching our heads and saying, okay, well, that doesn't make sense. So what if we speculate in the lack of actual evidence and the lack of facts? Because here are some of the situations where what we do know would kind of make sense. They denied for a long time that uh, Pelosi is the one who opened the door. Now, according to the prosecutors, Pelosi opened the door. Paul, not Nancy. Nancy, of course, was in D.C. when it happened. There was this discussion about multiple hammers at one time and then a fight with the hammer. Uh, when did the hammer exactly come into play exactly if Paul Pelosi was able to come open the door? See, we still have a ton of questions. And I keep coming back to one simple fact. This is not like most cases. There is a reason why they should, in fact, release the body cam footage. And it's because the Democrats have made this a political event. It's because, right off the bat, the mainstream legacy media jumped to the conclusion, and make no mistake about it, it was at the behest of the Democratic Party to try and remind you that he was looking for Nancy. Hey, Nancy! He wants you to connect this event with the violence of January 6th because they still believe, as silly as that is, that they're winning the January 6th argument. They still honestly do not connect the dots inside their own heads that, well, you know, even though we were supporting the George Floyd riots, even though we were encouraging Black Lives Matter Incorporated and uh, Antifa to be out on the streets and try to burn down buildings for law-abiding citizens, many of whom happen to have been minority business owners, just FYI, even though they were supporting that level of bovine excrement, you're not supposed to equate any of what happened then to the political violence that might have ensued later. You're not even supposed to be asking questions about the alleged bomb threats that were also involved with the January 6th event. Yeah, I mean, sure, some of you probably heard here and there stories about, well, uh, there were bombs in places, and, and we were able to thwart that. Uh, we, we saved who knows what it, whatever the story is now. And yet, strangely enough, there are serious questions now about whether or not the one video that's been released involving somebody who's supposed to have placed a bomb near the DNC on January 6th, uh, a lot of questions swirling as to the legitimacy of that video. Basically, it would appear by most standards that it has been tampered with, that's been edited, that it's been doctored. And there's only one group of people that could have done that, and that would be the FBI. So, we are once again having to ask these questions. If you're going to make all these claims, what is that old saying? Mm. Was it uh, miraculous claims require miraculous evidence? Something along those lines?
All we know for sure at this point is that DePape has supposed to have broken into the Pelosi home in San Francisco in the wee hours of the morning uh, on Friday, back on October, demanding to see Nancy. This is what we've been told. This is what everyone's buying into. Nancy, of course, in these... Paul Pelosi, they keep making the big deal that Paul Pelosi's 82 years old, and Paul told the intruder that he had to use the bathroom, where he made an emergency call, speaking in code. Now, this effort to speak in code has been what has uh, fueled a lot of speculation about some of the things that he said that don't make a lot of sense. In fact, when this first happened, I was one of the people that were out here saying, let's not jump to a whole lot of conclusions based on what we've been told he said, because that might very well have been him talking in code. But this criminal complaint in the case said that DePape had zip ties, said that he had rope, said that he had tape, all of this in a backpack that he had uh, intended on bringing in, and that he had viewed Nancy Pelosi as the leader of the pack of lies told by the Democratic Party. Uh, remember, this is, guy is a nudist activist who seems to be very supportive of Black Lives Matter Incorporated and very supportive of the Rainbow Coalition and very supportive of a lot of left-leaning uh, groups. Okay? And, but he's suddenly been rabbit-holed and red-pilled, of course, going down the rabbit hole at YouTube, uh, uh, you know, uh, the common phrasing. Anyway, quoting in the complaint here, it said that if she were to tell DePape the truth, he would let her go. And if she lied, he was going to break her kneecaps. By breaking Nancy's kneecaps, she would then have to be wheeled into Congress, which would show other members of Congress there were consequences to actions. Heavy.com, a fact-finding website, highlighted a tweet from uh, Mission Local journalist uh, Joe Esnancy. Uh, is I'm, I'm sorry, Joe. I'm not uh, trying to mispronounce your name basically described DePape as a former Castro-nudist protester. And a 2013 San Francisco Chronicle article noted that DePape was a hemp jewelry maker. These are all facts that are not in question. We were talking about this at the beginning of the story. CNN reported that he had made several posts on social media related to conspiracy theories. What they didn't tell you is that all of these posts suddenly show, started showing up in a relatively short time just before the attack after he had spent a good amount of time off of social media. An acquaintance also told CNN that DePape sent her emails that seemed out of touch with reality. I'm guessing they probably could have said that about emails that he had sent for some time, well before this event. His ex-girlfriend said that he suffered from mental illness and believed he was Jesus for a year. There's no question that this guy, based on everything that we've seen, struggled 
with mental health issues. No question. The real question here is how much do you blame the current political temperature? How much do you blame the social efforts of certain media for his break? How much of this can be legitimate? How much of this can be cleared up by seeing the body cam footage from the police officers that responded to this call? I, I would stand here and I would applaud the, prosecution, the prosecution's refusal to release this footage before the trial if this was standard operating procedure for these people. It has not been for a very long time. I would stand up and applaud this prosecutor if they were trying to push back against the standard operating procedure, saying that this is how we should be conducting our business and conducting our trials and having these people convicted in the court of law of their crimes as opposed in the court of public opinion if, if the people that this prosecutor answered for wasn't answering to a group of elected officials that aren't, in fact, trying to connect this to every ballot you cast in the midterm elections. It's they who have made this an election issue, and it is they who should be answerable to their conspiracy theories. This isn't about January 6th. This isn't about political violence. This is about simple right and wrong. Let's take that mid-hour break, guys. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. Brazilian citizens narrowly re-elected dedicated socialist Luiz de Silva as president. This seems to represent the possible death of liberty throughout much of the Western Hemisphere. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook brought to you by Constitutional Grounds Coffee, the United States is governed by socialists. Chile is socialist, along with Argentina, Venezuela, Mexico, and Canada. Socialists dominate the central governments. In his first words as Brazilian president-elect, de Silva vowed to quickly reconstruct the very soul of that nation away from the small government pro-freedom ideals of the Bolsonaro administration. Across the pond in Great Britain, the hope of more liberty, lower taxes, and energy prices, whoa, were quickly dashed when the socialist globalist elites 
crashed stock markets around the world when newly elected Prime Minister Truss announced she would fight to increase oil and natural gas production, lower taxes, and ease regulations against businesses of all sizes. The last thing the socialist globalist elites want is for the people around the world, including here in the United States, is to live free and healthy lives with solid, intact families and a thriving economy to prosper in. But as far as I'm concerned, it's not their decision. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the Ron Edwards American Experience, 3 p.m. Eastern weekdays via theronedwards.com. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Vaccinated people do not carry the virus, don't get sick. Getting those shots out for 5 to 11-year-olds is going to provide a lot of comfort to American families. Horses barely running them over, people being strapped. A horrific video of the CBP officers on horse on horses using brutal and inappropriate measures against innocent people. We have a secure border. The border is, in fact, secure. The border is closed. The border is secure. The border is secure. The border is closed. We've been unequivocal in that. On the issue of Afghanistan. And to that end, we have seen a successful drawdown of the embassy. I think it's irresponsible to say Americans are stranded. They are not. This is Jim Crow on steroids, what they're doing in, in Georgia. This is all about keeping working folks and ordinary folks that I grew up with from being able to vote. The reconciliation package would cost zero dollars. The cost of these bills in terms of adding to the deficit is zero. Some have expressed publicly that they're not comfortable with uh, 3.5, even though zero costs zero dollars. Zero. 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 This bill is fully paid for and will not raise taxes on anyone making less than $400,000 a year. Let me say that again, be crystal clear. No one making less than $400,000 a year will pay a single additional penny in tax for all these things that were in the in, in the Build Back Better plan. If you're a husband and wife, school teacher, and a cop, you're paying at a higher rate than the average person making a billion dollars a year is. My plans do not add to inflationary pressure. The Build Back Better agenda will help reduce inflation, will help cut costs for the American people. If we pass the other two things I'm trying to get done, we will, in fact, reduce inflation. Inflation is going to come down next year. Inflation will come down next year. These inflation uh, rises will be transitory, that they will come back down next year. Election was stolen, well you all know the rest Biden hides downstairs Hunter's got a day to keep with minor assets Our house, take it back from Democrats Our house, take it back from Democrats Our house is coming back Commies are babbling and shooting off their mouths our patriots have not out. Voting these crooks out. It should never be allowed. Our house. Take it back from Democrats. 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 Father can't afford to drive to work. Mother's working also, yet she still can't pay the rent. 
trying to vax these young kids. The vaccine causes blood clots in my arthritis. Democrats, our house, take it back from Democrats, just remember what they did, we will fare well, cause if they cheat, they're busted, and I remember how they cheat, using ketamine and mail ballots, our house, take it back from Democrats, our house, take it back from Democrats, our house. 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 Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acetic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds Coffee Display to make your purchase and to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. Right-wing extremists already have a plan to literally steal the next presidential election. And they're not making a secret of it. The right-wing controlled Supreme Court may be poised to rule on giving state legislatures, yes, you heard me that correctly, state legislatures the power to overturn presidential elections. Just think, if that happens, the 2024 presidential election could be decided not by the popular vote, or even by the anachronistic electoral college, but by state legislatures, many of them Republican-controlled. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth.
Yes, everything is awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, I know that was a little longer than usual break, but I wanted to uh, spend a little time reminding you of some of the other reasons why you should not be even considering for a single second voting for a Democrat anywhere down the line, regardless. I mean, if your best option is the Democrat in that election, then you need to send a strong message by not showing up at all. <laughs> send us better candidates. Go there and write in better candidates. Uh, get together with the group of uh, folks that you know, especially for your local elections, because this is a case where if you can't get what you need set forward via your federal election, then vote locally and let the states do what they need to do. Now, one more thing that I would like you to keep in mind before you go vote on Tuesday, assuming you haven't engaged in uh, early voting, is the fact that so many folks on the left are now asking for your forgiveness. Yes, that's right. Not only have they decided that they want to distance themselves from Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. and the failed policies that they put forward almost single-handedly within just a few weeks' time, starting to do a lot of damage, and now doing irreparable damage from going from the un... un what, what is even a good word here? The unbelievably successful run of Donald Trump's presidency, the only blemish on his presidency being that of falling for the COVID lockdowns. Yeah, when you go from what Donald Trump had managed to do to make America successful, to raise the economy to levels that we had lowest levels of unemployment, especially for minority groups in history, well, now they want forgiveness. Sure, by now some of you have uh, already presumed that I'm referring to this article that was run by The Atlantic just the other day. Uh, Miss Emily Oster wrote it. It was titled, Let's Declare a Pandemic Amnesty. Let's focus on the future and fix the problems we still need to solve. Yeah, she wants an amnesty. Now, I know I'm not the first person to talk about this, and I most likely won't be the last either. But why do you think they need an amnesty? Why do you think suddenly they would even be asking for an amnesty? I don't know if you've had a chance to read the article. I was perusing it myself earlier. It starts with this uh, little ditty about going hiking with the family back in April of 2020 because, you know, there was nothing else that they had to do. They went on a numerous numbers of hikes. Uh, they were wearing their cloth masks that, that the author had made herself. They had hand signals so that the person in front of them, because, you know, clearly they were walking on these hiking trails uh, one by one, they had hand signals so that the person in front could let everybody else behind them know somebody else was coming the other direction so that they would know to put on their mask. She even goes to a point that uh, a another child got too close to uh, her then four-year-old son on a bridge, and the child yelled at her, social distancing. 
the precautions were totally misguided. This is quoting from the article now. These precautions were totally misguided. In April of 2020, no one got the coronavirus from passing someone else hiking. Outdoor transmission was vanishingly rare, uh, meaning that they have absolutely no data that suggests it happened at all. Our cloth mask, made out of old bandanas, wouldn't have done anything anyway. But the thing is, we didn't know. Still direct quoting. You didn't know. All right, a lot of us didn't know. I've been on the record saying several times that when this first happened, okay, maybe we could give some leeway for folks who simply put a little too much faith in these so-called experts and just wanted to do what they thought was right. Ultimately, that is the thing. I I have this situation that I have to acknowledge is a double-edged sword here. The problem is, if you're going to virtue signal to that extent, if you're going to go so far as to start denying people their livelihoods, then maybe you should wait until you know. Maybe maybe some employers legitimately thought they were doing what was best for their employees by putting mandates in place. But should politicians have tried to move forward? Should elected officials try to move forward mandates? Well, you know, unfortunately, most of us are not professors at Brown University, as the author of this article happens to be. Maybe, maybe we needed to continue to work. She, uh, she talks about some of the decisions that had to be made in this article. Talked about uh, taking an example from her own work, that there's an emerging, if not universal, consensus that schools in the U.S. were closed for too long. The fact that they were closed at all, the fact that they were shut down at all, means they were closed for too long. She acknowledges that the health risk of the in-school spread were relatively low. Yeah, that's even an understatement at this point. All the current data makes it clear. But I'll give you credit for trying to be delicate with your leftist virtue-signaling friends. Continuing saying, nah, it's okay, in-school spread relatively low, whereas the cost of students' well-being and educational progress were high. Gee, it's, it's a shame that you didn't have voices out there telling you these very things. It's a shame that there weren't individuals, myself included, that were pointing out the fact that all of the data suggested that children were not at risk and that children were not major vectors of transmission so that even the teachers who might be at risk weren't at particular risk from the students. All of that was already parsed out early in data that was coming forward, but of course the experts wanted us locked down. The experts wanted us jumping through their hoops. They did not want us looking at the data. Then they therefore had to hide the data, discredit the data, and demonize and cancel from social media anyone that dared to bring you the data. Anyone that even dared to question their determinations. Another example, back to quoting, when the vaccines came out, we lacked definitive data on the relative 
efficiencies of the Johnson & Johnson shot versus the mRNA options from Pfizer and Moderna. The mRNA vaccines have won out, but at the time, Many people in public health were either neutral or expressed a J&J &J preference. Why? Because the Johnson & Johnson version was a more traditional vaccine. Back to quoting, this misstep wasn't nefarious. Are you sure about that? It was the result of uncertainty. Obviously, some people intended to mislead and made wildly irresponsible claims. Yes, that is true, but I'm afraid that you are misrepresenting who the people that were intending to make misleading statements were. I think you know who they were. Given the amount of uncertainty, almost every position was taken on every topic. Oh, so you're saying that the virtue signaling folks refuse to budge and people with data uh, refuse to just virtue signal. When it came to a matter of public health, when it came to an issue that should not have been partisan, should not have been political, should not have been the hands of elitists who just want to control the behavior of those that are lesser than they are. Hmm. I wonder why. Almost every position was taken. I wonder why some people now are having to acknowledge, and they still don't fully acknowledge all the truths involving vaccine mandates. Anyway, back to quoting again. In some instances, the right people were right for the wrong reasons. In other instances, they had a persistent understanding of the available information. Some people were right for the wrong reasons? Now, if you want any more of this dribble and nonsense, it's easy enough. You can look it up on the Atlantic. In fact, you can just look up COVID amnesty in your Google search line if you're silly enough to still be using Google. It'll take you there. Just look for the Atlantic article. It, you can read... I think The Atlantic allows you to read one, maybe two articles for free without having a subscription. So if you are if you don't have a subscription, you can still read this particular article. She continues to make the case that we, in fact, should be forgiving the elites, the, the virtue signalers, the leftists, and, of course, the elected officials for what they did to our economy where they demanded that small businesses be closed and crushed, regardless of whether or not they'd be able to stay in business, unless, of course, they were able to qualify and take out PPP loans, unless they were able to help add to inflation in our economic destruction. She suggests that we ignore the fact that these folks decided to establish a criteria for what was an essential worker, people that were required to continue to go to work regardless. And it's strange how we were told this lockdown was to protect people who needed protection, but those people that were allowed to go more often than not were at the very least 50% minority workers, putting those people at risk. Well, 
there were obviously a, a large chunk of them were low income earners. Uh, there were a Outside of medical professionals, there were very few essential employees that even had a chance of being a medium to high wage earner in this country. So mm, strange how they had very little care about their well-being. We're also supposed to forgive these people the fact that now we're looking primarily at the elitist and the elected officials, that it's perfectly okay to shred the Constitution in the name of public safety. You know, I have pointed out in the past that the Constitution is not a suicide pact, but to an extent, this is ridiculous. We're supposed to forgive and ignore the fact that they shut down our churches, that they encouraged BLM and Antifa rioters, that they pushed forward an untested, still experimental, even technically experimental at this point in time, vaccine mandate. There's so much wrong with this, and it's all because they know if you don't forgive these people, there's no way you're going to vote for these people. It's because they know that if you do not find in your heart to look past their efforts to end our energy independence, if you don't look past the fact that they called us fascists while they turned loose and weaponized the Department of Justice on parents showing up at PTA meetings, and now people that believe in the sanctity of life taking them to jail because they want to stand up for pre-born baby humans. Yes, if you don't ignore those issues, how can you possibly vote for any of these people? Make no mistake, this person would not be asking for COVID amnesty if she wasn't afraid of the red tsunami. Let's reset the hour, ladies and gentlemen. This is Tim Tapp. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. Let's go, Brandon. Hey. Let's go, let's go. Hey. Listening to tap into the truth. My name's Joe Biden. All of this, as more than half of Americans think President Biden will go down as one of the worst presidents in American history. 
keep forgetting I'm president. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are here in the second hour of today's Tap into the Truth. So welcome to today's broadcast. Of course, hello and welcome. I am your ever so humble and mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, coming to you from historic Rome County, Tennessee. Since the replay of the show that is rebroadcast on terrestrial radio is now typically done in a full two-hour block, and we no longer have any of the stations that are doing one-hour blocks, the hourly reset can be a little different. Now, you may have noticed I haven't really tried to sell you anything. Uh, I will have links in the show description for the podcast listeners that will lead you to some places that if you want to help support the show, please, by all means, do that. If you're listening at WCET or at the lastfrequency.com, uh, please come visit me at tapintothetruth.com. That's T-A-P-P, intothetruth.com. And you can kind of scroll down uh, past the recent guest section on that homepage where you land on it first. And you'll see banners and boxes and links and things of that nature. You can hit any of those, or you can also visit the Sponsors and Friends page. Uh, I will probably have a link or two also to some companies that I own a very small equity stake in. They're not sponsors per se, but I consider them vital to my uh, financial success. So uh, some of these things are things I think you'll find a lot of interest in. All right, anyway, with all that being said, I would uh, appreciate any and all support. And if you're just listening on the podcast, by all uh, by all means, please, uh, I hope you're listening where the podcast is monetized and that you will listen to all the ads, let the ads play, including the ones at the very, very end. Just, just let those play. It, it doesn't hurt anything on your end, and it gives me just a little bit more of support. And uh, trust me, guys, right now, I'm sure you have felt the effects. Who can't use a little more support? All right, so we were talking at the uh, end of the last hour about the idea of a COVID amnesty. But they really are asking for more than that in this uh, COVID amnesty. Uh, this was an article that appeared in The Atlantic, and it it makes a really good case if you happen to lean pretty far to the left. You're now going from the you must virtue signal, you must march in lockstep with us, partially because they're afraid they're losing uh, control of Twitter. But they can't control the information that's getting out anymore. So now it's a we must forgive everyone for the mistakes we made. You know, I I might have been a little more willing to offer up some forgiveness there if there had been any level of remorse that's been demonstrated at this point for the mistakes. Instead, what we're actually continuing to get, especially from elected officials like, I don't know, let's just say a certain governor in California by the name of Gavin Newsom, for example, a refusal to acknowledge that the emergency is over. In fact, he's made it quite clear he has no intention whatsoever of lifting the emergency situation in California well into 2023. Now, I'm not sure exactly how it is that you can decide over a year and a half in advance 
when an emergency is actually going to end, but I do know that you might be able to ascertain roughly how long you expect enough state-level uh, litigation to have occurred and enough lawmaking to have been pushed forward by a heavily democratically controlled state house and state senate to keep whatever power you have managed to garner for yourself under the emergency declaration. And I think that might have more to do with the 2023 time frame. But, you know, that's just me making a educated assessment. I have no knowledge. I don't know what's really in the... Well, come on. Come on. We all know what Gavin Newsom's up to. Even the folks in California at this point know. And why is it that we think that he's just going to easily win re-election at this point, despite not that long ago being very nearly recalled, it's because the majority of people living in the squalor of the third world nation-level cities that are the population centers of California, once among the most beautiful on the planet and now some of the scariest places to visit, if you happen to be an American with expectations of major metropolitan areas looking like American cities, well... I guess at this point it's fair to say that the Democrats have done their darndest to try to make sure that all of our metropolitan cities look pretty much like third world areas now, haven't they? Why does anyone continue to vote Democrat is beyond me. Fortunately, a lot of people have finally been pushed a bit too far. They're seeing this as being an ongoing situation finally. They're, they're not taking my word for it. They're not listening to other sources like Ron Edwards or Anne Ubellis or even Don Smith, who's doing a whole different thing now. They're not taking the word for commentators like uh, Dan Bongino or even somebody like Sean Hannity or Mark Levin or even Buck Sexton or, or somebody like uh, over at The Blaze or good good friends and storytellers over there like Glenn Beck. Now, they're not taking any of their word for it, even though all these people, to a varying degree, have been telling you the truth about what's happening in these major areas. They're finally learning to see it for themselves. They're finally recognizing the fact that they have been intentionally misled. They're starting to recognize, thanks to the events in the Ukraine, that Democrats really aren't anti-war. They're just for the wars that they're for. The wars where they're able to launder taxpayer monies back into their own accounts. They're all for those wars. They're starting to recognize that they're not really trying to protect the communities. They're not trying to protect anyone from crime. They're not really trying to... What is the catchphrase now? To, uh, to face criminal justice and reform it. They're not trying to reform criminal justice. They're trying to make it more dangerous for you to show up to oppose them. These folks are starting to recognize that for themselves. And 
for better or for worse, the timing may end up being very good for the midterms. It may have happened just early enough that folks have started to realize the truth. I made this statement just the other day talking with Ken Crow. The abortion issue, this idea that it should not be a national issue, the fact that the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, this has also led to a lot of young people finally starting to realize that they've been lied to about that too. No matter how they feel about abortion itself, no matter how they feel about whether or not the murder of preborn baby humans should be a right that they have, they are starting to realize that for a lot of them, nothing changed when Roe v. Wade was overturned. They were led to believe that the sky would fall on their heads. They were led to believe that it would be the end of abortion rights, period. And they've discovered that's just not the case. And now, they finally decided to take my long-standing advice that they would have never listened to and probably wouldn't be doing now if they knew I've been saying for years not to take my word for it. They've decided to, to do their own research. They're doing their own homework. They're finding out that a lot of what they've been told is just not true. They're finally starting to realize that affirmative action, while you can make a case that it was a, a major advancement at the time, it hasn't been necessary for decades. And you can make a legitimate argument that it was never really necessary that all you had to do was continue to win over the hearts and minds of folks to, so that they would come to a point of recognizing and realizing that racism is dumb. And it really is, which is why you know that the intellectual lightweights of the day, people like Abram X. Kendi, who's promoting racism as the solution to racism, well, that's even dumber. They're starting to come around to that. It's slow. And it's not going to be enough to affect these midterms in any real way, but it is going to be a factor in it, and that's a good thing. These folks need to recognize and realize for themselves exactly how much they've been lied to. Good, good bit of information. Another thing that they need to come into terms with that they've been lied to about is what's been going on in Florida. You see, Florida's been standing up now for a while to try and restore parental authority over their children when it comes to what's going on in the schools. And now they're also trying to do the same thing in trying to prevent medical transitions for minors when it comes to the whole transient of the kids bit. Florida medical boards now have voted to ban medical transition for minors. And this is a good thing. This is something that more states need to follow. A brand new Florida rule that was passed this past Friday that prohibits minors from receiving puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones and gender-related surgeries has been uh, passed. Back on October 28th, Florida's Board of Medicine and uh, uh, Osteopathic Medicine held a legislative meeting that proposed the rule to ban medical transition treatments for those under the age of 18 after hearing from expert testimony and public comment. In other words, uh, the public got to talk about it too, and it was taken into consideration. 
On November 4th, a second meeting was held where the committee voted on the rule which passed and is currently set to take effect after a 21-day public commenting period again. Quoting here uh, from a Dr. David Diamond, who happens to be a radiation oncologist and the current sitting chair of the board, he said, quote, The chief point of agreement among all the experts, and I must emphasize this, is that there is a pressing need for additional high-quality clinical research. Ooh. Now, that's a very diplomatic way of saying that a lot of the research that's been offered up has been a decision, a determination being made before the research began because who was paying for it wanted a certain result, and then the people that conducted the research found a way to make the data fit that result. That's essentially what's being said about the majority. So now they need some high-quality research to be done. I'll tell you, most of the high-quality research that's already been done points to this being a good thing. Problems aren't solved by surgical transitions. Problems aren't solved by cross-sex hormones. And the problems of gender dysphoria are certainly not solved by any type of mutilation of these young people's bodies. This is something that if you were an adult and you are still suffering from gender dysphoria and you feel like this is a path you want to take, then okay. I would still not recommend it for you, but I don't get a voice. I don't get a vote in that. You have to decide for you what's best for you. And as an adult, you get to do that. And I hope that you're getting the best possible medical advice when when you try to pursue this. Hopefully they can talk you about it. Because this does not solve the problem of the high suicide rate among gender dysphoria suffering individuals that it continues into adulthood. But this mutilation creates such a level of regret that it pushes many otherwise healthy people that would have outgrown dysphoria into continuing the high rate of suicide. Now, before you hear folks from the left try to tell you that, oh, this is unprecedented, because that seems to be the battle call uh, for the left now. Uh, I, rec I remember when it used to be, for the children, was literally the only thing you would hear them uh, push forward. Now it's unprecedented. Well, it has precedent. You see, Florida now joins medical authorities of several European countries, including Norway, Finland, Sweden, and the UK, in concluding that the evidence of the so-called gender-affirming care, which includes the puberty blockers, the cross-sex hormones, and the surgical mutilations, well, that it's very poor and that the risks are real. So once the rule goes into effect in Florida, it will be the first ban in the United States of, quote, gender-affirming care for minors instituted by a state medical board. This is the same gender-affirming care that right now Joe Biden in every part of his administration is trying to push. They're trying to move forward with federal laws to try and prevent states like Florida from being able to do this. But you know what? There is this little thing called the Tenth Amendment. And there is this little idea politically called nullification. So 
even if we don't get the full-blown red tsunami that we're expecting, even if Republicans don't take uh, a decisive control of the House and a uh, control of the Senate that prevents them from just pushing stuff forward, if Democrats maintain enough control anywhere that they can continue to push the transing of the kids' ideology on a national level, then the state elections, it's where you win this fight. The state elections, if you have not already voted in early voting, you need to show up Tuesday. You need to show up and vote accordingly. Protect your kids. This is just one of the issues. What they call gender affirming is actually gender denying. What they call for the children is actually to destroy the children. And it's all part of a greater effort to lead to a socialist overtaking of this country. It's all part of the idea of destroying all forms of identity. They want to do away with gender identity. They want to do away with nationalist identity. They want to do away, away with any of the identities that might stand in their way of taking full control. In fact, the only identity that they're for right now is racial identity because they still want to use that as a weapon. And as soon as that weapon is no longer a useful part of their toolbox, well, you better believe that's going next. Now, the fact that the committee in Florida cited the poor quality of evidence to support the use of <clears throat> gender-affirming medical interventions in minors, that suggests instead that psychotherapy would be a more appropriate treatment for adolescents who have recently adopted a trans identity. And again, if this is a discussion about a actual person that's suffering from actual gender dysphoria, there's no question that psychotherapy is the better route to go. There's no question. You don't have to be a freaking medical professional to recognize this fact because it has been the recognition for decades that it's been officially recognized as an actual disorder. It's always been a psychological disorder. Now, the board voted 6-3 to three to adopt the new standard of care this new standard of care that will prohibit doctors from prescribing puberty blockers. That's going to keep doctors from prescribing cross-hormones and is certainly going to prevent doctors from performing surgical mutilations of these children, at least until these patients turn 18. Doctors who disobey the new rule risk losing their medical licenses, and that is something that will follow them to other states should they decide to try to go somewhere where the state's still going to permit minors to be mutilated in these fashions. A state that allows this type of child abuse is probably where these doctors should be looking to move to now if they're going to be insistent on continuing this madness. Every state in the Union should follow the example being set by Florida right now. We know they won't. We know states like New York and California and a few other choice leftist 
uber blue states are going to continue to claim that we have to protect this marginalized community. A marginalized community that they are creating out of whole cloth. A marginalized community that flat out does not exist without their ridiculous efforts to create them. This isn't gender dysphoria. This is gender confusion that's being pushed at earlier and earlier ages. And they want to treat these children with these treatments earlier and earlier because that's that's the only way to get them. Once they get old enough that they actually start going through puberty and start understanding what their gender is and how it makes them feel and possibly gets passed through that awkwardness of adolescence, well, it's too late to convince them then. And if if you have convinced them that, oh, well, hey, Johnny, I, I know that your birth certificate says you're a boy and your mom and dad say that you're a boy and that uh, you've lived your life as a boy to now, but do you know that you might actually be a girl? If that level of confusion doesn't change Johnny's name to Jill and they don't let Johnny play dress up like he's Jill and eventually try to convince him from the age seven until the age of 17 that Johnny's Jill, well, maybe by the time Johnny starts turning 15, Johnny starts thinking, I don't feel like a Jill. So they've got to do the mutilation before then. They've got to do these very dangerous cross-hormones, and they are dangerous. We're talking about chemical castrations that are being utilized in gender-affirming care. We're talking about surgical mutilations that still makes me question what the doctors that are performing these surgeries are thinking. How can they look at themselves in the mirror? How can they believe that they are worthy to be physicians when they are breaking the most fundamental tenet of their professional ethics? The Hippocratic Oath. First, do no harm. And it would be different if something they did created harm because they had entirely missed a diagnosis. They ended up doing harm as a result of a treatment where every clue, every sign they had pointed to one thing, and it turned out being something different. That is not medical malpractice. That is simply a a, a anomaly that could happen at any time. That's not a violation of that Hippocratic Oath. But when you walk in knowing that you have no, exactly zero, documentational evidence that what you're about to do to this child will be a positive thing, how can you do it and say it's not a violation of the Hippocratic Oath? How can you do it and say that it's not a violation of the most fundamental tenet of your professional ethics? Some of these people are trying to claim that it is, in fact, their professional ethics that compels them to do these terrible forms of child abuse to these people. Most of the doctors that do this know that it's not ethical for them to mutilate the bodies of adults who have walked into their offices and asked for, or in some cases even demanded it. They know it. Some of them won't admit it. Some of them won't say so publicly. Some of them have been so indoctrinated by the medical schools that now won't even let you apply, or at least won't let you enter, if you don't answer with the correct level of wokeness. 
if you're not willing to to make the same oath like the uh, the Minnesota medical school oath that we had uh, played the other day, if you're not willing to say things like that, they won't even let you into medical school. I don't know how many more times I can play these cuts. Clearly, we probably need to go ahead and play it here. Let me play it for you. Again, this is the oath that medical students at the University of Minnesota were required to say before they'd be allowed to continue with their graduation. With gratitude, we, the students of the University of Minnesota Twin Cities Medical School Class of 2026, stand here today among our friends, families, peers, mentors, and communities who have supported us in reaching this milestone. Our institution is located on Dakota land. Today, many indigenous people throughout the state, including Dakota and Ojibwe, call the Twin Cities home. We also recognize this acknowledgement is not enough. We commit to uprooting the legacy and perpetuation of structural violence deeply embedded within the healthcare system. We recognize inequities built by past and present traumas rooted in white supremacy, colonialism, the gender binary, ableism, and all forms of oppression. As we enter this profession with opportunity for growth, we commit to promoting a culture of anti-racism, listening and amplifying voices for positive change. We pledge to honor all indigenous ways of healing that have been historically marginalized by Western medicine. Knowing that health is intimately connected to our environment, we commit to healing our planet and communities. We vow to embrace our role as community members and strive to embody cultural humility. We promise to continue restoring trust in the medical system and fulfilling our responsibilities as educators and advocates. We commit to collaborating with social, political, and additional systems to advance health equity. We will learn from the scientific innovations made before us and pledge to advance and share this knowledge with peers and neighbors. We recognize the importance of being in community with and advocating for those we serve. Do you realize in, in that oath that they were required to say in order to go through the line and graduate, that half of what they're swearing to do is in direct opposition of what the medical profession is supposed to do? Uh, and then the other half is stuff that they should already be doing. That's covered under the Hippocratic Oath, which I'm wondering if that's even a thing they continue to teach anymore. This whole idea of indigenous uh, health treatments, uh, what, what are you talking about? Uh, smoking peyote in a sweat lodge? Uh, are you talking about uh, going out on a vision quest to discover a medical solution? Uh, what exactly are you talking about their professor? Because you cannot be concerned about medical equity. You should be treating everyone with medical equality. You should be treating people with first concern to their well-being, not your first concern to how profitable it's going to be for you. So if that's what you're trying to say, don't use the word equity, because that's not what that word means. The left is trying to twist its meaning, but it still comes down to even the way they want to use it, it means that we want equal outcomes. 
And the only way you can guarantee an equal outcome is if you make sure that everyone has an equally terrible one. You're not doing any favors. You're not elevating any communities, marginalized or otherwise. Your first primary and, honestly, only goal should be to offer the best possible medical treatment to continue the advancement of improving medical treatment and improving medical outcomes for everyone, not just marginalized communities, not just people of a certain color, not just people of a certain historical background, not just people who happen to have lived on the land that the university currently occupies before the university came along. None of those things should be a factor in your effort to provide the best medical care possible. Your role as an educator and a mentor is to help these people, these students who have come to you to learn the trade of being a physician. Your role there is to teach them the best techniques for offering a better, healthier life for everyone they encounter with no respect or regard to what color they are, what tribe they may have been a part of. None of that is relevant to what your job should be. And if it was, if you were doing this the way you're supposed to, not only would that oath uh, being completely irrelevant, but we wouldn't have to have the conversations about how social mentalities are entering into the medical profession. If you want to buy into this misnomer that somehow the medical profession has been rife with inequity, then so be it. I'm not going to be able to change your indoctrinated mindset. But if you want to think that that should be the driving force with how you practice medicine, then maybe you shouldn't be practicing medicine. And you certainly shouldn't be trying to... to create the next generation of people that will be practicing medicine. Because if that's the message they're getting from you, they're getting the wrong one. I'll be right back. You're listening to Tap Into The Truth. Hey, Joe. They say building back better make America great. If that's a wave of the future, all I've got to say, stick your progress where the sun don't shine. Keep your big mess away from me and mine. If you leave us alone, well, we'd all be just fine. Much has been written in recent years to try to dismiss the fact that the United States was founded upon Judeo-Christian principles. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, despite their efforts, leftist revisionists cannot change the historic facts. Anyone who takes the time to examine the original writings, personal correspondence, biographies, and public statements of the sovereign individuals who were instrumental in the founding of America will find an abundance of quotations showing the profound extent to which their thinking and their lives were influenced by a Christian worldview. 
This is not to say that all of the founding fathers were Christians, though most were. But even those who were not Christians were deeply influenced by and promoted the beneficial principles of Christianity, unlike modern-day leftist non-believers who seek to extinguish Christianity out of society. We can choose to get distracted wondering if Ben Franklin put his personal faith in Jesus or simply appreciate the blessings of Christian Judeo values that are the bedrock of our land of liberty. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the Ron Edwards American Experience 3 p.m. weekdays via theronedwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. Are you concerned about the strength of the dollar right now? I'm not concerned about the strength of the dollar. I'm concerned about the rest of the world. Our economy is strong as hell. Inflation is worldwide. It's worse off everywhere else than it is in the United States. So the problem is the lack of economic growth and sound policy in other countries, not so much ours. Secret Service said they have dissuaded him from coming to Capitol Hill. They told him they don't have the resources to protect him here. So at the moment he is not coming, but that could change. I would come to punch him out. This oh, is my wow, I would pay to see that. I'm waiting for this, for trespassing on the Capitol grounds. I'm going to punch him out, and I'm going to go to jail, and I'm going to be happy. Here's the thing. People think that the President of the United States has the power for debt forgiveness. He does not. He can postpone. He can delay. But he does not have that power. That would that has to be an act of Congress. But the, the difference between the president do, president can't do it. So that's not even a discussion. We must be honest with each other. And with ourselves, too much of what's happening in our country today is not normal. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. MAGA forces are determined to take this country backwards, backwards to an America where there is no right to choose, no right to privacy. No right to contraception, no right to marry who you love. They promote authoritarian leaders and they fan the flames of political violence that are a threat to our personal rights, to the pursuit of justice, to the rule of law, to the very soul of this country. My name's Joe Biden. Not a joke. Not a joke. And that wasn't hyperbole. I meant that. I'm not joking. No, I'm serious. This is not hyperbole. I'm not being facetious, and I mean it. Not a joke, for real. Not a joke. I mean it. I'm being serious. I'm being serious. But all kidding aside, for real. No, I'm not joking. Not a joke. I mean it. I'm a joker. I'm a smoker. I'm a midnight joker. I sure don't want to hurt no one. I keep forgetting I'm president. Constitutional Grounds, the hot air roasted coffee that produces a smoother, richer, healthier, and less acetic coffee. Our unique hot air roasted coffee has a most delicious taste that everyone is raving about. Because you want the best, Constitutional Grounds is the coffee you want in your cup. 
Simply go to theronedwards.com and click on to the Constitutional Grounds Coffee Display to make your purchase and to be sure to use the RE20 promo code and you will receive a 20% discount. Remember, Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. The president has been very clear, you know, as you know, the president has been very clear, very clear, very, very clear. Uh, uh, uh. The president is doing what the president is your the president is. These are items that the president has been very clear on. We're in the quote. Repeat the line. Uh, uh, uh. And so the president has been very clear. The president has been very clear. I was going to put him uh, foot. The president's been very clear. Why? But the president has been very clear. But is he going to specify exactly? No, but he has. The best way to get something done that uh, uh, if you if you hold near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to. Uh, uh, tragedy all right ladies and gentlemen thank you so very much for staying with me through that very brief break again just a little bit longer than usual but i wanted to throw in a few extra clips and uh a few extra of the liners that have some really good clips attached to them and want to go ahead and spend a special shout out and a thank you for the crazy cajun aka doug uh he is uh the guy who puts together a lot of those liners for me uh i'll often play the clips and they'll he'll steal the clips and then he'll make these liners uh, with uh, songs that he seems to think that they fit very nicely with and uh, you know while I use the phrasing he seems to think I seem to think he does a great job at it so there you have it so thank you Doug as always I appreciate it uh, crazy Cajun making some magic happen of course he spends a lot of time working with ron edwards too he is ron's current producer overall uh, as well as uh, doing a lot of work to help make sure that this uh, broadcast gets taken care of when it airs on wcet and over at the last frequency in fact this past friday we did a live broadcast there uh, first time in a while that i'd been uh, totally live broadcasting on wcet as well as on the last frequency and uh, it was nice. It, it is kind of fun to have that live energy again. I had Ken Crow come on and join me as a guest. And uh, it, it is a, a very different scenario. When I do the recordings, I've got some leeway. I can fix a few things here and there before we go into it. I can completely trash uh, an hour and a half worth of recording if a mistake's big enough. And, and all that is all kinds of fun and games. And I kind of hinted at the possibility that maybe we'll do some more live Friday shows. So let me recommend you go over to MeWe.com. That is a social media platform, in case you're not familiar. One in which I am uh, active on. Uh, And uh, you can join the Last Frequency group over there. And uh, then by being there, you can uh, live chat with uh, the folks that are actually live on the last frequency when that's uh, taking place. 
and uh, you can be part of those broadcasts. So we'll see if we do more live shows. Uh, like I had said then, that uh, if I can talk uh, Doug into it, when usually it's Doug trying to talk me into it. So we'll see what we uh, end up doing. I, I did have fun. I'd almost forgotten uh, the joy of doing it live since so many of the stations had went to just rebroadcasting. Uh, so that was kind of that's kind of fun. We'll we'll go from there. All right. With that being said, we do have one more uh, story to uh, touch on before we call it an evening today. And of course, in case you are wondering, uh, this is the Sunday broadcast. We do not have our Sunday afternoon conversation with Ron Edwards today because Ron was a little too busy. And as that's kind of been where we've been at the last few weeks, I do miss uh, speaking with Ron, and we'll definitely have to make it happen uh, sometime real soon. I was kind of looking forward to his take on uh, this last opportunity for us to talk on air in regards to uh, what was going to happen with the midterms. Really wanted to get his feel for what was happening on the ground in Michigan in particular, since that's uh, where he is headquartered out of at the moment. Although, uh, rumor has it that he may very well be joining me in the great state of Tennessee before too much longer. He uh, most likely going to be out towards Nashville if he decides to make that move. So uh, we're not exactly going to be next door neighbors, but uh, it will be great to share uh, a state with him. Uh, certainly be a lot closer. Anyway, I teased back in the first hour about a bad Trump story. And I do think this falls into the bad Trump category. But uh, love to get some feedback from you guys. Let's let's go into the story first. It would appear that the former president of the United States, the individual who used to host The Apprentice, and of course the celebrity apprentice as well, the man who's known by the political left in this country as the orange man who's bad, the kicker of puppies, the eater of babies, the climate arsonist, among many other. Uh, names that they've made up for him. In fact, I'm pretty sure Nancy Pelosi just calls him Satan. Although that's strange because I know Nancy Pelosi often in her secret closet uh, says, Hail Satan, quite often. So <laughs> I I don't think uh, that's for personal consumption. It's mostly just private uh, uh, out uh, in the public consumption. Anyway, Donald Trump took a shot at Ron DeSantis. He, Trump was at a campaign event Saturday uh, in Pennsylvania, which, of course, is just days before the Florida's gubernatorial election. You know, that's part of the the offices that's up for these midterm elections. There are several governorships that are on the line, and the Florida governorship is one of them. So Trump took a shot at Ron DeSantis. Trump made the attack while uh, he was campaigning in Pennsylvania, and he used a, well, a questionable poll that was conducted months ago, uh, just shortly after the FBI's criminal investigation into the former president's handling of government records was made public following the Bureau's raid on Mar-a-Lago. Uh, Trump at 71%, Ron DeSantis at 10%. This is actually what Trump said to the crowd. As the crowd quieted down, Trump at 71, Ron DeSantis, although he actually called him a nickname, uh, Ron DeSantimonious at 10%. Ron DeSantimonious. Now, i got to tell you, Trump is really good at giving folks nicknames. 
I'm not sure that that's a very good nickname to give him. Um, and I don't think it's a good idea to do this because of the timing either. There was very little reaction to Trump's attack on DeSantis at the rally. And for good reason. A lot of folks were probably quietly stunned for multiple reasons. Number one, right now, Ron DeSantis is probably the most successful current office holder in the Republican Party anywhere. Now, you can make an argument that Bill Lee here in Tennessee is kind of underrated, uh, but you can also make the argument that a lot like in the state of Texas, there are a lot of conservatives that are questioning some of what Bill Lee has done here in the state. There's not a lot of conservatives that are bad-mouthing Ron DeSantis in Florida. A lot of lefties, a lot of Democrats, not a lot of conservatives. Anyway, Tom, uh, Trump posted these same numbers on social media back in September. That's, of course, about the time the poll first came out. And then he promoted them again this week on the same account. Of course, we're talking about his account over on Truth Social. The reaction to Trump's attack on DeSantis was, well, it was overwhelmingly negative on the political right. Uh, a lot of folks on the left kind of celebrated some infighting. Uh, here's the thing. The timing is really, really questionable. It still comes down to this, whether you're a Ron DeSantis fan or not, whether you're a Donald Trump fan or not, these two are on a collision course, maybe. I still honestly think that Ron DeSantis is most likely going to make his determination as to whether to run for president based on whether or not Donald Trump gets in the race. Or at least I thought that was the case before this subtle preemptive attack. This may change the calculus altogether. Trump firing shots at him now maybe changes that calculus. Trump has literally just essentially tried to make a political enemy out of somebody who's doing all the same things that Donald Trump would do before he has to even make him an enemy. They're not competing yet. There was no guarantee that they were going to be going head-to-head. Trump may have blown this. Trump may have just drawn DeSantis into, all right, well, let's see what happens in a primary. The other side of this is it's a clear attack on a good Republican, a good conservative, a man who's fighting the good fight that Trump is supposed to be fighting before an election. Now, Here's the political calculus. Maybe somebody's in Trump's ear saying, you know, this guy's going to run, right? This guy's your only real competition in a primary for president. But if, if he doesn't win re-election as the governor of Florida, he's off the board. If we, if we help to take him off the board now, that means it's a cakewalk for you to become the nominee for the Republican Party again. Maybe that voice that he's hearing in his ear is even his own. If that's the calculations here, that's terrible. Because first and foremost, this is Trump at his worst. This is Trump actually putting his own ego 
and in this case his campaign, ahead of what's best for the people of Florida. Therefore, he's also putting it ahead of what's best for America. He should not be afraid of or concerned by some competition from Ron DeSantis. He shouldn't be. Here's what he should be doing. He should be making amends to the Republican Party, especially those hand-picked folks that he endorsed, and then only recently started sending some of the money he has in his coffers their way. Now, granted, it's going to be very helpful dollars at this point, and of course he can make the argument that he was just waiting to see if they would be helpful or not, but Donald Trump had soaked up a lot of the Republican donor base dollars quite a bit of it. In fact, you've heard multiple conversations on the show, both with Ken Crow, with uh, uh, also with uh, Ron Edwards, and with a few other guests, where the Trump war chest was huge and continued to grow. And that a lot of Republicans that were counting on Republican contributions weren't getting the same dollars they ordinarily do because the money was going to Trump. Now, Trump has a super PAC that he can move those funds into, and that super PAC can then move to another general super PAC, and then those funds could be demonstrate, uh, demonstrated, can be, de- <laughs> can be designated, that would be the word I'm looking for, to the candidates that he had handpicked. Most of those candidates were being ignored by the Republican National Committee, the senatorial races in particular. A certain uh, minority leader from the state of Kentucky didn't want Trump handpicked candidates joining him in the Senate. Mostly because I'm pretty certain he feels like his grasp on being leadership could have been endangered if these folks got elected in mass. But Trump wasn't helping them either, and, and he didn't really get involved with sending any of those funds until recently. Now, every penny is going to count, especially down the home stretch, and hopefully it will help. But it's a little late in the game to make those contributions, and I'm still pretty certain that if it wasn't for people like me and several other voices that I heard after I was making this point joining me, it wasn't until then, I don't think if we weren't calling him out on this, that he would have made that decision now. I hope I'm wrong about that, but I really don't think he would have. People started noticing, hey, Donald, if you really support these candidates, you help them get to where they're at, and now they're being embarrassed and being outspent 3 to 1, 4 to 1, 12 to 1 in some cases, because they they just didn't have the funds available. Why aren't you helping out these folks, especially when these are the kind of guys that you're going to need in the House and in the Senate to help you move your agenda forward should you become president again. He was hanging on to those dollars because I think he wanted to use them for himself. I don't think he had any intention of sending them, even at this late hour, until folks started calling him out on it. But now to go after Ron DeSantis like this, to call him Ron DeSanctimonious, it's going back into his usual pattern of trying to eliminate competitors cutesy little nickname. But why? Why, Donald? Why would you do this now? Why would you do this when you know you have a lot of eyes on you, but you have a good Republican conservative governor 
who's running for re-election in Florida? Why would you try to ruin things for the state of Florida just for you? This has shades of what happened in Georgia. This was a very bad Trump moment when when Trump went after the Georgia officials, the, the freaking governor down there, and the secretary of state trying to make a big deal, and then tried to get Trump supporters not to show up at the polls, which basically put Warnock in office. Warnock, a terrible, horrible candidate who would not have been elected if Republicans had showed up in the numbers that they would have been expected. If the Trump supporters hadn't stayed home, there would have been no way that Warnock would be in office. We wouldn't have to see the current race going on in the question. We wouldn't have had to have endured the last several months, uh, well, the last two years in particular, of Democratic control in the House, the Senate, and in the White House. The Senate wouldn't have been 50-50 if it hadn't been for a bad Trump choice. And now you're going to go after DeSantis because somebody's whispering in your ear that, yes, he's definitely going to run? Even if he does, you do that when that race starts. You don't do it now. You are putting at risk the well-being, the, the citizens of the state of Florida. You're putting at risk the well-being and the momentum of the Republican Party going into the midterms. And you're putting at risk people that you're supposed to serve, and an agenda that you claim to support. Now, Donald Trump, if you decide to run again, good for you. If this is about trying to right some terrible wrong, fine. But if this is just about your ego, which this move suggests it may very well be, then maybe it's time that you just did just step back and let somebody else do this. Now, that's not what I want to see. I want to see you stepping up and actually serving the American people again. But even the most diehard of Trump train riders has to admit that you have a bad habit, sir, of making everything personal. And if somebody says something you don't like, well, then they have to pay. You have a bad habit of deciding that if it's not all about you, then it's not worth doing. The people of the state of Georgia have had to suffer as a result of that, and the entire country is now suffering as a result of that. The entire country is suffering because the Democrats had a 50-50 split because of what transpired in the state of Georgia because Trump supporters stayed home instead of preventing Warnock from becoming that 50th vote for the Democrats in the Senate. Do not repeat the same mistakes of the past. And remember, you have so many supporters, not because of your ego, but because you stood up for them. Remember who you're fighting for. Remember what you're fighting for. And then you'll be worthy of getting those votes again. You'll be worthy of being president again. It might even be a good idea to try to make Ron DeSantis a full-blown ally. Now, maybe this one time isn't going to be enough to sour DeSantis on uh, a Trump re-election bid. Maybe it won't be enough to make him decide that, you know what, let's see what happens. 
But if you have changed that calculus by attacking him now just because somebody's convinced you that he's going to do it, then we have missed the real opportunity. And that real opportunity is to save the Republic. Save the Republic from the full-blown socialistic agenda where they're trying to implement identity politics, where they're trying to trans the kids, where they're trying to finish off the dollar, try to push us into modern monetary theory, which of course is just complete and total chaos. If we're going to save the Republic, we're going to have to stand together, not separate. And we need to have good campaigns run by respectful people that are seeking the same thing so that when the dust settles, we can still work together. So this attack on DeSantis at a, a rally by Trump, this is definitely bad Trump. And I'm afraid, once again, it's pushed by his ego, which is still his biggest obstacle from political success. Our real, our real concern moving forward needs to be to make sure that we get to the red tsunami. Not just a wave, but a tsunami. We need to take the states as well as the federal government. We need to get full control of the House and the Senate. But we need to make sure that every state that we can is as red as we can make them. Because we are headed, after that red tsunami, headlong into a constitutional crisis. I have it on good authority that they're already, they've been prepping for the last month and a half, a series of executive orders that are well beyond the scope of what Brandon should be allowed to do. It's going to end up in court. It's going to end up with a lot of battles. We are headed for that, and we need good warriors ready to stand up to protect our country, to protect our republic, and most importantly, Don, Ron, the American people. That's got to be it for now, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so very much. Glad you listened to the end. Thank you for being here. And remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely, definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort. Most importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. And a final message for Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. before I go. This is Tim Tapp. Let's go, Brandon. Hey.
Let's set the record straight. There's no argument over the choice between peace and war. But there's only one guaranteed way you can have peace and you can have it in the next second. Surrender. Admittedly, there's a risk in any course we follow other than this. But every lesson in history tells us that the greater risk lies in appeasement. And this is a specter our well-meaning Christian liberal friends, our, our be- priests, bishops and pastors refuse to face. That their policy of accommodation is appeasement. And it gives us no choice between peace and war, only between fight and surrender. If we continue to accommodate, continue to back and retreat, eventually we will have to face the final demand, the final ultimatum. And what then? When Satan has told the people of this world, he knows what our answer is going to be. He has told them that we're retreating under the pressure of his Cold War. And someday, when the time is right to deliver his final ultimatum, our surrender will be voluntary. Because you see, by then, we will have been so weakened from within, spiritually, morally, economically. He believes this because from our side, he's heard voices pleading for peace at any price. Or better read than dead. Or as one commentator put it, he'd rather live on his knees than die on his feet. And therein lies the road to war. Because those voices don't speak for the rest of us. You and I know it and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Ridge have refused to fire the shot heard around the world? The martyrs of history were not fools and our beloved dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis did not die in vain. Where then lies the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all that you and I have the courage to tell our enemies there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which evil must not advance. In the words of Reagan, evil is powerless if the good are unafraid. 